The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com. standing faultless before his throne, Romans 8, came into my mind. Uh, I just want to read this to you. It's a very familiar passage, but just that encouragement that comes from what we were singing says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Oh, Father, you're so good. You have set us free. There's no condemnation. We are not condemned. We have been forgiven. John 8 says, Who the Son sets free is free indeed. So we don't live in the flesh any longer. Lord, we live by the Spirit. And we give thanks for your goodness. We give thanks for your kindness. And we ask that you meet us now as we look at Revelation, your word to us, this prophetic word of what is to happen at the end of days. And as we look at just how hard it will be when Antichrist comes and his power seems to be at its zenith, his heat the hottest, his wrath, the most vile, Lord, your people will endure, and they will have no condemnation, and they will be set free, and we just give thanks. We give thanks for all of this in Jesus' name, and we ask that you teach us now in the Spirit, in Jesus' name as well, amen. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Revelation chapter 13. We're only going to be looking at the first 10 verses today um, and getting just an understanding of who this Antichrist is. And so we looked at chapter 12 uh, last week and we saw the dragon and the woman and the dragon is Satan and it's, it's pretty clear who he is and there's a war in heaven and he's cast out no longer to come back to heaven, no longer to bring accusation. Jesus, the righteous one, is our advocate. When the, when the accuser comes before the throne, and yes, right now he does have access to God, and he does bring accusation against the saints, Jesus stands as our advocate and says, no, there's no condemnation on this one. This one is mine, Father. This one you have given me. This one is part of the saints, one of the redeemed. He cancels that accusation. And at, 
end of 12, Satan is cast down, his demons are cast down as well, and we see that there is this moment where the dragon's attention is turned. Well, 13, we start to get a view of what's going on during this Daniel's 70th week. Who is this Antichrist, and how does this work, and what does it look like? Now, this is a familiar, uh, you know, topic for the world. I mean, you say Antichrist, most people think evil government leader, ruler of, you know, evil incorporated or something, I don't know, but the end of days, and it's going to be bad. Like, people that are just in the world, like this idea of Antichrist is out there, and we have movies and all kinds of stuff about it, and, and then the imagination gets set wild. But what does God say? That's what's important. Not what does the world think about this stuff. What does God say about these end days? What does God say about this man of lawlessness? And that's what we're going to see. So I'm going to read Revelation 13. uh, So you can follow along. It will be on the screen. Uh, And this is what we see here uh, in the first 10 verses of John's writing to the church here out of Revelation. It says this, starting in verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, and he, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. This is the word of God for us this morning. So in verse 1, we see John say, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea. And so John's focus moves from heaven now to earth. So as we looked at previous chapters in Revelation, there's a lot of stuff happening in the heavens. And John's saying, I saw an angel in heaven, and I saw the throne room of heaven. And and he, he just gives image after image that God has shown him of these heavenly scenes. And now he's looking at earth, and he's saying, 
I saw a beast rising out of the sea. So at the end of 12, the dragon comes down and puts his feet on the sand. And we were saying that he, it, that sea could be the sea of humanity where he's still claiming his authority. Like, I will not be overcome. I'm still in charge. Kind of throwing a, you know, a, an angelic temper tantrum uh, because he's been cast down. But he's standing on the sea and then this beast comes up out of the sea. So the dragon is there, and a beast comes out. So the dragon is, is different from the beast, and we're going to see that. But let's focus here where it says that he sees one rising out of the sea. Now, the sea in the last chapter, like I said, it could be humanity, and Satan is trying to say that he's still having this authority. But in Jewish background, the sea could also be seen as chaos or a figure of evil so it it could just be that imagery so again this is what makes apocalyptic literature prophetic literature really hard to interpret is because sometimes these images they're not really clear to us and so yeah you may like i like that sea of humanity thing that sounds really good or you may just say well rob i think it's something different and so in in jewish background Uh, there is this idea that the sea is that of chaos or evil. So a beast coming out of chaos is rising up. So we see this idea coming out of Psalm 74, verses 12 and 13. It says, Yet God my king is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the water. So the sea was seen as a treacherous place. It was unknown. It was unruly. Like to, to go on a voyage was, was perilous. And so there was different perils out there. And they, and they would talk about the, the sea monsters of the waters and things. So it's like it was a chaotic place. It was a perilous place. Isaiah 57 verse 20, it says, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. So again, like out of the chaos, out of the the evil of the world, the tossing waters, this tossing sea. So this idea is that the beast is coming up out of this evil, out of this chaos. It could be both. Out of the sea of humanity, out of the chaos and evil of humanity, one rises up out of it. One, the beast that the dragon will give authority to, to take over, to conquer, to, to, to move as the dragon wants him to. So the beast is not the dragon. He's distinct. Uh, the word beast elicits this idea of one who is wild and dangerous. So when you're just looking through the scriptures, like this is the idea, like, The Antichrist is one who is wild and dangerous. He is like a beast. Now, that makes me think of some different things. Like, is it like refined, but yet not knowing what he's going to do? And and like, you think of those people like on the surface, they're really refined and they, they have all the right things, but they're really just like a sea that's in turmoil underneath. Like you just don't know what their actions are going to be. You don't know what, it, their yes is not yes, their no is not no. It's like you just, you cannot tell what is going to happen. It's like there's that sense of polished refri- refining, but he is wild or he is like this wild animal, this dangerous beast. The beast is also in some ways, he mirrors the dragon. We see that. 
He has seven heads. It says here that the, the beast has it comes up out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on his horns and blasphemous names on its head. So here we see that he has uh, a, an appearance that's very similar, that's very similar to the dragon. But he's not the dragon. So we, we have to understand that he is subservient to Satan. So this is, this is something different. This is someone different. This is one who's going to come and, and take over. So we see in chapter 12, it says that the dragon has seven diadems, like that's symbolic of his complete authority or power. We talked about him being the prince of the power of the air, where he got his authority, how he usurped that authority last week. So if you're interested in that, you can go back last week and, and see what I was saying about the dragon and how his authority uh, is has been usurped from man and how he has this power. But the beast here, it says he has 10 diadems. And it's more focused on this area of influence and control. So the idea is that at some point, the world is going to be broken up into 10 distinct regions and they're going to be governed by 10 different kings. There's going to be 10 heads or 10 diadems. There's these 10 regions of control, of influence. The seven heads is that of of control, of, of complete control, but there's, it's different. It's not that of the dragons. It also says, on the beast's head is a blasphemous name. So here we see that of those ten regions and those, those heads that are there, the, each are speaking against God. It's highlighting the character of the beast. He, he's a blasphemer. He, he speaks against God and God's ways. Daniel 7 25, we read this, he shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the time and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. So here we see that he is, is one who is a blasphemer, who is going to speak against God openly, and and just bring great uh, deceit and evil and lies. He will try to change the laws, or he will change the laws, and he will do what, what he pleases. So we see here in Revelation 13 this principal character of Antichrist of coming up. Now, as we're reading here, I, I really don't have much to tell you about his appearance other than what we're reading here. The beast I saw was like a leopard, uh, its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And, and this is just symbolic imagery. And honestly, like I was reading and looking at different commentaries and different things, I, I don't really have a good explanation for these. But something interesting, I, I should have put the picture on the slide. Maybe we'll put it on the second, ver, uh, second service. But the, before the United Nations, there was actually a statue made that mirrors this, and it's called the the protector of the nations. And it looks like the beast. It was a statue that was constructed and, and it was outside the United Nations. And it's been moving around the world. They take it to different places, but it's, it's quite fascinating, the biblical imagery that we see in our world. So here we have this, this beast with this image. Uh, he has these characteristics. Now this word antichrist is not one that we find in Revelation at all. 
so where do we get this idea? Like, where do we get this word antichrist from? Like, why do we say antichrist? Like, here, he's known as the beast, and, he, and that's going to show up 28 times in the book of Revelation. But there, this idea of antichrist is only used uh, by John, and John uses it four times in 1 John, and he uses it twice in 2 John. Uh, in, in fact, in 1 John 2.18, we read this. It says, children... It is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So here he's saying you have heard that the Antichrist, that Antichrist, there's one who is to come, but right now there are many Antichrists. So this idea of what is Antichrist, it's, it's anti-God. It's the, the one Antichrist is is the opposite of Messiah. And you will see here that he's going to mirror Jesus in many ways, but he is a false Messiah. He is a false uh, one to come. He is Antichrist. And so John is saying, but many have come into this world. We deal with the spirit of Antichrist every day. We see the, the lies that are propped up against the truth of God every day. That's the spirit of Antichrist. We see people who proclaim those things. We see world leaders who, who you would say, man, if I was reading into Revelation, I think this guy's a good fit. Maybe he is. I, I don't know. Um, maybe Antichrist is with us now, and it's just a short time before he is revealed. He has not been revealed. But we see these characteristics of those who are against God, against God's word, against the truth. And, and so they're... I believe there is an actual individual that will rise up and he will be led by Satan and that man will be a great blasphemer. He will reject God and he will move the nations to reject God and, and that is the Antichrist. Um, so who is he in other passages? Where do we get this idea of this one person? So here we have Antichrist is coming. We also see him called the, the man of lawlessness or the son of perdition, depending on your translation in Second Thessalonians 2, 3. It says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. And so here is one who is to come. He is the Antichrist. He is the man of lawlessness or son of destruction or son of perdition. He's also called the foolish shepherd in uh, Zechariah 11. Now, I'm not going to read that passage, but Zechariah, I, I will later. But Zechariah 11, 15 through 17, talks about the foolish shepherd or the wicked shepherd, and he's talking about this antichrist, and we'll get there in just a minute. So I don't want to read it and then go and read it again. You know how that is. And then there's the, the king who exalts himself. In Daniel chapter 11, verses 36 through 45. But I want us to focus on 36 through 39. And it says this, And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. 
he shall not pay attention to any other God, for he shall magnify himself above all. And he shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these, a God whom his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. So this has a forward interpretation here of Antichrist, of this one to come. And I want to point out a few of the things. So it says that he is a blasphemer. So if you'll go back to the beginning of that of those slides so we can look at it together. Um, can you go back to the beginning of that area? It says, And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. So he will be a blasphemer. That's what we see in Revelation 13, verse 6, about his blaspheming. But So here it is in Daniel, this characteristic of the one to come. He will be a great blasphemer. He'll speak against God. He's going to speak against the things of God. He's going to speak against the truth. And he's going to exalt himself to be seen as God. It says that he'll have powers and will prosper. Here it continues. It says he shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. And that's the, the end of the days. That's the, the return of, of Messiah. He's going to prosper until the indignation is complete. So when we look in Revelation, we fast forward to Revelation chapter 19, and that's the return of Jesus. And that's when his power is cut off. That's when he is done. At the return of Christ, he comes and brings judgment. The Antichrist will not be destroyed. He will be judged, and he will spend eternity in hell and eventually into the lake of fire. He is, but his power and his reign, his indignation, his blasphemies, they will be cut off. He will be done. And so here we see he's going to prosper. He's going to do these evil, wicked things until that time, until Christ comes. And that's what we read about in Revelation 19. Um, we see that, you can go to the next slide on it. It says, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the God of his fathers or, or, or to the beloved by women. Now, this is really interesting. It says pay no attention to the gods of his fathers. Um, it's, it's better interpreted uh, I think in the King James and New King James where it says he'll have no regard for the God of his fathers. He, he, will, not, he will not have uh, regard for his, his people's God. This is a Jewish idiom, really. Daniel speaking, he's saying he does not acknowledge Yahweh. He doesn't look at God. He doesn't acknowledge the God of our fathers. So it's better the way he's... The way Daniel is writing it here, and the better interpretation of it is, is in the King James and New King James, where he's saying he doesn't pay attention. He doesn't give reverence to the God of our fathers, which is where I, I tend to lean thinking that the Antichrist will have Jewish heritage, that he's going to come out of this background. I, now, I can't, I'm, again, I'm speculating, but I think he's going to have Jewish heritage. He's going to come out of this and, and have no regard for the God of Israel. Not, not care about those things. He's going to have no regard for him. 
And, and then it goes on, and we have another idiom here, and it says, or to the beloved by women. So this is looking forward to the one who would bring Messiah. Like, the, the idea is like, oh, who would be blessed to bring forth Messiah, who's going to deliver our people, who's going to bring the one who is like Moses. And so this idea is the one is going to come, and he's not even going to care about the, the Jewish Messiah, and we know it to be Jesus. So he has no regard for God. He has no regard for Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He, he has no care about them. He throws them off. He blasphemes them. He rejects them. So we see these characteristics of Antichrist, and we see these things in Revelation 13 about who he is and how he acts. So again, verses 1 through 10, they highlight five aspects of Antichrist's rule and his time on earth. So the first one in verse 2 here, it says uh, his wickedness, the Antichrist's wickedness. It says, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard, and its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And, it is, and, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. He is wicked because he is under Satan, because he is aligned with Satan. But we see that, as I said earlier, even in this world today, we see this. 1 John 3.8 says this, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So even today, like we're saying, oh, Antichrist, it's in the future, Rob, why do I even care? We see the, the birth pains happening now, we see that it's moving to this conclusion. And even today, the wickedness, while it's not fully on display through the Antichrist that we're talking about here, we see it on display in our world. We see it, those who practice sinning, those who, who love the sin and love flesh and, and, and love the things of the world are of the devil. They, they have, they're living under his control. They're living with him, so it's wickedness. It's evil. And I know that doesn't sound great. <laughs> and you know, we like, like nowadays, it's like, well, we don't want to say evil, or we don't want to say it's wicked, but that's what it is. When it's contrary to God, when it's in rebellion to God, it's evil. And so we have to call it what it is. God says that Anything contrary is the spirit of evil. It's aligned with Satan. And so we see that in our world. The Antichrist is in this awesome embodiment of wickedness. But we see that people are trapped in these lies even today. That they're walking in these ways of the world. That they're, they're bound by sin and the flesh. They need to be set free. And the Son of God appeared to destroy the work of the devil, to tear down those lies, to break them free so they can be sons and daughters of God, that they don't have to be living in this way contrary to God, that they don't have to be sons and daughters of wrath, that they can be set free. So we see that the Antichrist has wickedness uh, because of his alignment with Satan. 
people today walk in evil and wickedness because of their alignment, whether they mean to or not, because of their alignment with Satan. Number two, we see this, the Antichrist's wounding. So uh, as we read here in verses three and four, it says this, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? So what we have here is, and this is where we'll look at Zechariah eleven fifteen through 17, but what we have here in the passage is that at some point there will be a mortal wound given to Antichrist. He's going to die, and as we'll look next week at the false prophet, uh, or maybe in two weeks uh, at the false prophet. But here, he's going to be resurrected. Wow, what a counterfeit. Life, death, resurrection. He will bear the scars, and that's what we're going to see in Zechariah. Look, look at this. In Zechariah eleven fifteen through 17, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. Now, that idea of foolish shepherd is that of a wicked one like this is a, a, a term for a wicked leader or, or of antichrist one who is going to come and he says so for behold i am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the the maimed or nourish the healthy but devours the flesh of the fat ones tearing off even their hoofs woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. And so we see here this idea of Antichrist being struck. He's he, a mortal wound. He is, he, is, he is cut down, but yet the false prophet will come and, and bring him back. He will have a resurrection, and the people are going to worship him. They're going to worship the dragon. So satanic worship is going to increase. They're going to look at the power of Satan, and they're going to worship Satan for what he has done, because look at the Antichrist, this man who has come. Now remember, he's the one who wages war against the two witnesses that no one can get near, and he strikes them down, and he kills them. And then he gets struck down, and he is resurrected. And people are going to be like, who can battle against that guy? Like, he can kill his enemies, and he can be struck down, and he has life brought back. So they worship the beast. They worship Satan. So we see this mortal wounding given to the Antichrist, and he's going to bear the injuries. It looks as if, you know, Zechariah is kind of pointing to the eye being blinded and the arm being withered. I mean, the idea is I don't know how he's going to be struck down, but he will be bearing the scars. Remember when our Lord was resurrected, he said, touch my hands, feel my side. He still bears the scars of crucifixion. So Antichrist is mocking the Christ. He's making a mockery of him. He's He's doing everything that Jesus does. He, he has nothing new. He is a counterfeit. 
So even when you see that the saints have written on them the names of God, what does the Antichrist do? What does Satan do? He writes his names on the people. Everything that God does, Satan tries to mock it. He tries to counterfeit it. He tries to make it twisted. And so here we have Antichrist who has a mortal wound and he comes back. The third thing we see in verses 5 and 6 is his blasphemous words. And so it just says this in verses 5 and 6. And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Now that's three and a half years. So for 42 months, for the, for the time that he rises up and takes uh, his place, where he does the abomination in the temple, when he sets his image in the temple, for that three and a half years, he is going to be openly blaspheming God and making a mockery of God. He's exercising his authority over the nations. People give him authority. And it says, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And so here, he is blaspheming God. He blasphemes the, the temple of God in heaven. He's blaspheming against heaven. And those who dwell there, who are those? Those that have been snatched away, I believe, the church, the bride who has been taken. That He, can't, he has no, no sway over them because they're not here. So he blasphemes those who love Jesus and those who will come to faith as the 144,000 Jewish witnesses are proclaiming the gospel and people are still coming to faith. You have the tribulation saints, those who don't take the mark, those who don't worship the beast, they're coming to faith still. So he's blaspheming those who are in heaven who have been taken and he's waging war, raging war, waging war against those who are here on the earth that are God's. So we see his, his blasphemous words. We, we see how he is, is moving against God and God's people, which takes us to number four, his warring. It says, also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. So those who weren't snatched up, those who are coming to faith on the earth, he is, he is making war against them, and he is conquering them. He is killing them. He is martyring them. We read earlier in Revelation that there's a multitude under the, under the throne there of God, under the, the altar, sorry, of God in the, in the throne room, and they're saying to God, how long, how long? When will this be over? When will you avenge us? That, that's the ones that the Antichrist is killing. He's, he's cutting them down for their faith. And he was given authority over every tribe and people and language and nation. So at some point, the, those ten regions that have these kings, those kings will give their power to one to, to take control, to, to lead it. And I mean, we think, <laughs> we think wow, uh, that's going to be interesting to see how that works out. But we kind of get a, a taste of it happening now, don't we? I mean, we... We look at the world and we see all the different alliances and how the nations are aligning themselves and coming into treaties and, and pacts. And is it going to be like it is today? I have no idea. I don't know what the final shakeup's going to look like. But I mean, 
we get a taste when you think about, you know, the North, North American Treaty and you think of the European Treaty and you think about the different regions, how, how in Asia and, and, and all that, they're coming together in different ways. And it's like, what's it going to look like? Like, I don't know. But eventually, it's all going to get broken up and those who are ruling those regions are going to give their authority to the beast. And, the, and, and God's just saying, this is what's going to happen. This is, how it, this is how it shakes out. This one will have authority over all the world. They're all going to say, this is good. This guy has it. This is the one that's going to, to lead us. And they're going to be in allegiance with him. And the last is, is that worship. Number five is the Antichrist worshipers. It says, and they worship the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. That's, they recognize that. Like, this guy's authority doesn't come from himself. Like, there was somebody that gave it to him. It was the dragon. And they worship the dragon. They worship Satan. And then they worship the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And then in, further on it says, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of, of the lamb who was slain. And in verse 12, this is a little further. It says, it exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence, talking about the, the false prophet. It says, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. And so we see in verse 12 uh, here that people are going to be having to worship. He makes them worship. We will see that there will be an image set up in the temple. And it's just amazing because the image will be alive and the image will be giving the mark. And the image will strike down those who don't worship. And those who are, who are on the earth, they are going to be forced to come and worship. The lines are being drawn. This is it. Which side are you on? Whether you know it or not, the lines have already been drawn. The question today is still the same. Whose side are you on? Are, are you on the Lord's side? Are you on the enemy's side? Are you walking in sin and flesh and under the sway of Satan? Are you on his side? And so the, the lines are drawn, and the worshipers come, and they worship the beast, they worship the dragon, they give their allegiance to him, and they are the ones who are going towards destruction Verse 10, it says this. It says, If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is the call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Here is the call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Endurance and faith are beautiful blessings. They're beautiful things. However, for some, they are an agonizing weight. You ever thought about it? Those who endure, those who have faith. This is the call, like endurance and faith. For some, 
when I talk about perseverance of the saints, that phrase, when I talk about enduring to the end, having faith to the end, it doesn't sound like a blessing. It sounds like an agonizing weight. The questions arise in the minds of many believers, many Christians, because of how perseverance is often taught. The word may be patience in your translation. Uh, this, this, this word, hoop om on a, hoop, hoop om on a, is translated as endurance, steadfast, patient, waiting for. The idea is that of remaining under something, especially as God enables the believer to do so under the challenges of life. But often, people wonder, am I saved? Am I really saved? And, and they'll ask that question. Have I done enough? Have I, am I really saved? Did he, did he really forgive my sins? Am I, am I really on the Lord's side? And if perseverance isn't taught well, usually it's to the answer of, well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if you... If you endure to the end, if you have faith and you don't falter, if you don't go astray, then, then I guess you, you would have shown that you had real faith, and we can, we can say, yeah. Let me ask you a question. Where's the hope in that? I don't know. I just got to make it to the end. Well, how long's the end? 10 years? 20 years? 50 years? Like, how long do I have to do this? Like, how long? Like, I won't know unless I make it? And then if I make it, it's like, okay, I did it. I made it. I had real faith. What I want to do is end <laughs> so you can see the, the hope that comes in verse 10. Here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. I want to alleviate that burden if you've been struggling with these questions. And if you're not struggling with these questions, the help you have an answer for people when they're saying, am I really saved? Did God really do this work? You know, I believe, I, I said that prayer, I did those things, but am I really going to make it? Am I, am I destined to be on the Lord's side? Am I going to heaven? Well, John 10, 10 through 18, we read this. The thief comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. That's important. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. So this is Jesus talking to the Jews, and he's talking about us, the Gentiles, who will come by faith. And he says, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. 
So we see here Jesus speaking as the good shepherd, the one who comes to bring salvation, to, to, to make things new, to, to care for his sheep, care for those people who come to him, that the Father gives to him, to, to give them good pasture, to, to watch over them, to, to be nurturing and change them and transform them. This is what he's talking about. He's like, these are my sheep. I am the good shepherd. And so the Father knows me, and the Father gives full approval that I come and lay down my life for the sheep. He comes, he gives himself. This is the gospel. We're talking about the gospel here. Like Jesus coming and giving himself for our sin, that we may be made new, that we may be made right. And he says that those that are his, they have relationship with him, and he goes on. And he says this in verses uh, 25 to 30. I told you, and you do not believe. So the Jews are not believing him, and there's this back and forth that's happening. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. So what he's doing is proving that he is the Messiah. He is the one who has come to bring new life and, and to make all things new. He says, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. Look at this. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So here we have this beautiful moment where he says, those who come, they know me, and they hear my voice. Do you know the Lord? Are you hearing his voice? The primary way we hear his voice is right here in the scriptures. He speaks right here to us, and the Holy Spirit illuminates it, and we understand, and we hear God through the Spirit, working through scripture, like speaking to us. Faith is born, and we believe it, and we walk in it, not because we have to, not because I have to endure, I have to endure. No, we're we're like, I am new. I want to live for him. And so I do these things because I love him. I hear his voice. He says, Rob, this is the good way. Walk in it. And I say, yes, Lord, I want to walk in that. I want to experience abundant life there. I want to do that because you've called me to this. This is what is desirable for me. I am his. I am his. He is mine. There's that relationship. If you don't know the Lord, if you don't, you know, I don't know, I don't have a relationship. Uh, God, Jesus doesn't talk to me. He's talking to you. The question is, are we listening? Here, we, we see that we can endure. Just as the saints in Revelation will endure, they will endure to death. They will lay down their lives. They, they say, we have faith. And that laying down of their life is, is testimony to their faith. And they will persevere to the end. Because God is going to keep them, give them patience and endurance. He's going to strengthen them. They will be raised up on that last day. Just as you and I, if we come by faith and we come to Christ, he holds us. And he will raise us up on that last day. That's a promise. He doesn't revoke his promises. He doesn't say, well, you slipped up. You were doing really great for 25 years, Rob. And then I don't know what happened. Like, so I don't know if I'm going to keep my end of the bargain. No, he does. If we come by faith, and here's the thing, 
I can't judge your heart. But God knows it. And I know that if tomorrow I walked away, I would still be convicted. I would be, I would be grieving the Holy Spirit and I would be saying, I'm not going to listen. I'd be like the toddler who sticks his fingers in the ear going, no, 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 I'm not listening, I'm not listening, I can't hear you. Just making enough noise so the, the voice of God is drowned out. But I know that I believe this. I know that I've given my life to him. He is Messiah. He is the Son of God who came to forgive sins. That is settled. I have no doubt. And if I walked away and lived for the world, some would say, I don't know if Rob had faith. Well, Rob knows. And Rob knows he's living in rebellion. And I know that all of those rebellious works are going to be burnt up on the last day, 1 Corinthians 3. I will get no reward for that but I will run out of that house like a man who runs out of the fire and I will be saved because on the last day he will raise me up. It doesn't, doesn't depend on me. It depends on him, what he has done. The question is, have you received him? Do you believe? And if you believe, you have relationship. And if you're in relationship, are you listening? I'm going to invite Jake in here. And Jake's going to give a testimony uh, about the prayer training that's coming up. And as we were talking in this passage, Jesus says, the sheep hear my voice. He's talking. He's speaking. And so prayer is another way that God speaks to us. He speaks to us in prayer. He speaks to us through scripture. And so um, Jake is going to talk a little bit just about how God has just been transforming him and uh, about how prayer is just, uh, you know, growing and blooming and, and what it's doing for him. So, Jake, will you come and uh, share your testimony about how you just hear the shepherd's voice? It stresses me out being up there, so I'm going to stand on it. All right. <laughs> okay. I'm Jake Silvernagel. I've been coming to the bridge for quite a while. I don't even know, a lot of years. Um... Actually, last time I stood up here and talked to everybody, I was getting baptized, so that's pretty cool. Um, I will be honest with this testimony. It's not extremely detailed, but it's true, and it's from my heart. Um, I was skeptical about the prayer training class. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Kind of just was going to go through the motions to appease my wife, Allie, and just be a good husband and check the box. Um, but it, it, uh, it really transformed my prayer life. Um, we were put in small groups and we were to practice praying for somebody's and I, I'm terrible at details. It was the Miraz, it was Mike and one of the cute twins. And, uh, we, Mike and I both looked at each other like we're praying for her. So, <laughs> and, uh, oh, you are here. Good. All right. Which one was it? I couldn't remember. It was this one. That didn't help me, but it was this one. <laughs> um, and so I just opened my mind and my heart and my ears to the Lord, and we spent some time in prayer. And I remember the image. I got an image of a tree, like an oak tree blooming, uh, or, you know, green, lush, good climbing tree. And um, I'm not well-versed in Bible memory or verses at all, um, but a, a verse popped in my head. I couldn't have recited it, but the chapter and the verse bopped into my head, and I don't remember it. I should have wrote it down, because that would be awesome for this testimony, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, it referenced a tree 
in the verse. And, um, and I just knew at that time that I had heard God for the first time in my prayer life. I've been praying for years, but for him to respond to me and just confirm that this uh, prayer training and this, this time spent, you know, spiritually reflecting with the Lord um, is, is real and it's true. And you can hear God. And Amy and Bethany did a fantastic job showing us biblically um, how that can apply to your life and to your prayer life and your relationship with the Lord. And it just, it took my prayer life and my, my spiritual life with the Lord to a whole nother level um, as far as communication with him and hearing from him um, in so many ways in my life down to just weird little stuff when I'm working in the shop to big family decisions to all sorts of things um, in my life um, and in my own life and my heart and personally. And so I would so much encourage every one of you guys to go to that class. It is transforming uh, no matter where you're, at, where you're at in your walk with your faith. They are so good at answering the questions you have, uh, getting you involved, which made me super uncomfortable. But obviously after the class, it was awesome. I, was super, I, I thanked her for that. Um, so um, yes, highly, highly recommend it. It will, it will just blossom your relationship with the Lord. I can guarantee it. It was amazing experience. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So here's the perseverance and the faith of the saints. The Lord, our good shepherd, is speaking. And he says, I will carry you through whatever your circumstances are. He's with you. He's speaking. He wants to help you. You don't have to be afraid. Am I doing enough to appease him? His love is already on you. By faith, you have been saved by grace. And now he's just saying, listen to my voice. Come, walk in these ways. This is where life is found. And so if you feel like, I really need to hear the shepherd, take the prayer training. Get, in, get into that, uh, that weekend that's coming this next Saturday and say, help me use the scriptures and help me just pray and help me to to hear the shepherd's voice i want to walk with him that's what it's for it's to help you have a deeper relationship with the one who is the lover of your soul and so will you stand with me we're going to pray and we're going to close our time just worshiping god and thanking him for all that he has done and who he is father we thank you even as we read through this passage and think about antichrist his doom is sure. As Martin Luther wrote in the hymns about Satan, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. The, the Antichrist is nothing compared to our great Savior, our good shepherd. He has no power. It's been broken. You, Lord, are King of kings and Lord of lords. And we, your people, we just want to walk with you. We want to love you with all of our hearts, our minds, our body, our soul, our strength. And we just say, good shepherd, help us speak. Give us ears to hear so that you would be glorified in your bride, the church, and that many would have the hope that we have. And for those who have been helped today, knowing that they are free, that they are free indeed, we give you praise. Thank you for your goodness towards us. 
And now we close our time worshiping you in song as one people with one voice. Amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.